so many clubs start trying to figure out what to do or how to rebrand yourself when you're in the decline. It's too late. And you start reading, well, clubs are dying, people don't like to golf. Then you start believing your own press, right? So you really got to start looking at most successful companies. Right when you're growing, you got to keep reinventing yourself. And I see this is where our industry is going. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. All right, look to the person to your left and right. Everybody give each other a high five. High fives. All right. After seeing your party last night, as uh, Billy Ray Valentine said in Trading Places, I think I can hang with you fellas for a while. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about in, uh, innovation and rejuvenation. This particular talk, um, the first time I gave it, I was asked by the PCMA to come out and uh, give a talk on innovation. And I said, okay, I'm honored, but why, why, why was I picked or why? Well, well, you guys have a food truck, so you guys are innovative, right? That was the whole thing. We had a food truck, so we were innovative. And we need you to give a talk. Um, so I really started kind of diving deep into uh, what does it mean to be innovative? What does it mean to, how do you rejuvenate our clubs? You know, our, our industry is in a, a very interesting spot and I think there's a huge opportunity for all of us. And a lot of you are in successful clubs and a lot of you know this. So none of this is gonna be a surprise. And we all live the same life. But I will say what we're gonna go through today is a process that we've been going through at our club. Um, it's almost like a case study. But there's no silver bullet. So if you're here to get the silver bullet, we don't have it. But we can give you a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts, and a lot of approaches in order to get through this to go. So we're gonna kind of go through that. So with all this, how hard is this to sell, right? I digress here for a minute. I was asked to give a talk at um, James Madison University on just the club management life, right? So I put this talk together and as all good husbands do, I show it to my wife who's my biggest critic and say, okay, here's my presentation, what do you think? I get to this slide and she says, why are you showing this? I said, what do you mean? It's Caddyshack, it's funny. She goes, they're not gonna know what Caddyshack is. I'm like, you're full of it. So I get to, the, get to the school and I'm giving the talk and it's in my head, right? It's in my head. So I get to the slide and I stop and I said, all right, of a room of 46 students or whatever it was, I said, all right, how many of you know what this movie is? Four hands went up. That hurt a little bit, uh, just a little bit. But this is what it is, right? This is what people think clubs are. Um, but we also know that we all have our judge mails and we all have it, but this is what we're doing. And when you start looking at clubs, and I promise this is the last scholarly looking slide that we'll have. Um, when I really started studying service delivery and really looking at what we do for a living, when you look at the left, um, there's, you know, when you have a product, you have a raw material, it's transformed by labor and capital, and then you have something that people want, right? It's raw materials in and a finished product out. But when you start looking at the service business, it's the same person, the man that says customer, but it's the same member going in. They're transformed by the experience that we provide, but it's still the same person going out. So when you really start looking at service and then we have to start focusing on that expectation, on that um, experience. How are we gonna transform their experiences? 
And a lot of you hear this a lot too, is our private clubs dying? And no, they just need to evolve. And I think after seeing and talking to a lot of you last night and what we're going through, we all understand this and see it. You know, when they talk about golf is dying, golf isn't dying in my opinion either. People love to have that club in their hand. You see what's happening with Drive Shack and you see what's happening with Top Golf, or everything's going towards practice, right? Everybody's moving towards practice. They want that club in their hand. So they may not be playing as much because of time, but they still want that in there. People still want to be part of experiences. People still want to be part of clubs. And as in school, you've learned and you've seen this product life cycle here. Um, you know, I will say, unfortunately, most people start trying to figure out what to do or how to rebrand re re yourself when you're in that red part, when you're in the decline. And it's too late. I can promise you, Apple, um, when they were on uh, iPhone 6 or whatever the numbers are, you know, they were already thinking of 10 and X and whatever it is before they even got to there. But so many clubs, and I will say, and you'll see where, where my particular club was, we were in the decline. We were in the decline and people were trying to figure out what do we do, and then you start reading, well, clubs are dying, people don't like to golf, and then you start believing your own press, right? So you really gotta start looking at most successful companies, right when you're growing, you gotta keep reinventing yourself. And I see this is where our industry's going. We're starting to do this more and more. Clubs are starting to be seen as a true business. And this was something from 2013 in the McMahon trends, but a lot of this is still relevant. And I laugh at this because if you listen to what people tell you, that isn't what they really want. And that's always the hardest thing. It's our jobs to figure out what do they really want? Because they say in clubs we're celebrating tradition, but they want this cutting edge technology, right? They want formality, but yet they want the casual drop in attitude. You know, so what people say they want and celebrate or what some clubs hold on to isn't necessarily what people want. And if you just give them what you think they want, you're gonna start to come into that death spiral, right? So it's amazing, this was 2013, and in my opinion, a lot of these are still very relevant. So when I was asked to do it, they asked me to put kind of a case study together, and that's kind of the format of this. So I'm gonna give you a little history here. Um, for those of you, if you do know Farmington, I apologize. If you don't, I'll give you a quick history lesson here because it really frames the context of what we're about to talk about. So the, the, the land in Farmington was patented in 1744. Uh, Thomas Jefferson put on our original addition to our building. Um, it was a home, his friends lived there. While he was sitting president in 1803, he also put on this, this building um, for his friends. Fast forward to 1927, the families that owned the house no longer wanted it and they decided um, they, wanted to get, they wanted to move. So a group of businessmen got together because this game of golf was starting to take the country by storm and cars were starting to come in, so we were in the country. So they, they, they formed this and it was really a real estate play. Um, they formed this club in 1927. Um, they opened their doors on May 15th, um, nine, uh, 19, trying to think, 1929, May 16th, 1929. What happened a few weeks later? Stock market crashed. So they had this brand new business and it crashes. Um, but it stayed together. And then in 1978, 1979, that group decided we no longer want to own or be in the club business. There's no more real estate to sell. So we became a member-owned organization um, in 1978, 1979. So while we're a fairly old club, we're a fairly new club when it comes to being self-governed and we start looking at things. 
So in 2012, this is kind of a quick snapshot of where the club was. Um, we had about 2,400 members. Of that, 1,030 were resident members. Uh, 1,370 were non-resident. I have more non-resident members than I do actual physical members. Um, we had an employee base of 375. Um, our revenues were about 14 million at that time. Uh, we were just starting a master plan. The population in this town is only 150,000 people. So when you start looking at your employee base, you start looking at your um, membership base and opportunity, there's some challenges that start to creep up there. And we have, we're 365, 24 hours, we have 40 overnight rooms, so we're basically a mini resort in this town. And here's the annual new member requirement. We need 150 new members each year. So you start putting this puzzle together. 150,000 people, already 1,000 of them, not including the spouses and the children, are members already. You have 300 and some that are employees. Um, we need 50 new residents a year and 100 new non-resident. Now, our big thing that we have is the University of Virginia is right down the road. So a lot of our non-resident base joins the club while their kids are going to school, which I laugh at, because I couldn't get my mother to join Sam's Club, but they got them joining country clubs during college. So 150 new members every year in a very small town, and you start to kind of see the puzzle, okay? This is all 2012, and everybody asks, what's your competition? And we all have the same thing here, right? We all have the same competition, demographics, time, local business, and facilities. Now this is the point of the presentation where I say, um, from this point forward, we all have to vow not to say, yeah, but, okay? Because I know what starts to happen here. Well, you're a big club, so yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. Well, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. We may be a large club, but you're gonna see going through this, every club is faced with this. If you just keep your mind open, this is part of the innovation. Because when we start talking about innovation and rejuvenation, people quickly jump to technology. Well, innovative, we're gonna do something so different and rare that nobody else is doing it, right? That's not really, if you really dig into it, that's not what innovation is. Innovation is taking things and reimagining what it can be and working with what it is. So you don't have to do these crazy things sometimes that you see. I know Club and Resort Business is putting out an innovative one, right? And the front picture is some kid in virtual reality, right? That is innovative, but that's not always what we're talking about. So from this point forward, Please try to refrain from the yeah, but, or they're a big club, or they don't have the, I don't have the money you do, or I'm just an HOA, or whatever it is, right? We're really talking about the fundamentals of business and how do you start kind of revitalizing yourself. So a snapshot for the club in 2011, 2012. When I walked at the club, and a lot of the stuff is not when I got there, I didn't make this change, right? But this is from my viewpoint of where things were going. And, um, the club in 2011 reduced their initiation fees by half, okay? They were losing or subsidizing, uh, taking money from capital to put into their operation by 600,000 a year. The revenue was 14.1 million, and from 2002 to 2011, their average dues increases were 5% each year. The club was in a death spiral. It was losing money, losing money, not investing in itself, in a small town, and then you see what the, what the burn rate had to be. The club was in trouble. And how many people from the crash of 2008 started to see their membership do this? There's our membership counts that were going. 
So in 2012, when I walked in the door, we had a lot of things that we needed to figure out and figure out how to do it pretty quick. So it came time for action. And the big thing here is the board and the, and the, and the club had to really do a gut check. Who are we? What are we trying to do here? And is this sustainable? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And in a club like this that's been around almost 100 years, it's easy to get complacent and say, well, we've always done it this way, right? This is what we do, this is how we do it. You don't understand. So they had to do a gut check. Oh. And the big question was, and most clubs struggle with this, but I think, I think we're at a point in time where a lot of you are starting to do this. Are we a business or are we not? It amazes me, I had a member the other day, we were talking about, we've made a decision not to do a certain thing, and I said, well, we made a decision not to do that because financially it wasn't the right thing to do for the club. And this member, who is a bigwig in um, California, does a lot of investing for some very, very um, well-known companies, says to me, well, Joe, we're a nonprofit. We shouldn't care about making money. And it's amazing how many people have this attitude. How many people say, well, we're, we're a club. We're a club, we're not a, biz we're not a business. You have to be a business. Doesn't mean you have to lose that touch and that service touch, but you gotta start looking at things from a business standpoint. And I feel like I'm talking to the choir here because a lot of you I know are starting to do this a lot more. But this is again 2012, when this was still very radical for a lot of groups. And we really committed ourselves to this funding model that you all know. The capital had to go to, initiation had to go to capital, dues had to go to fixed expenses, and variable costs had to be covered by users. Getting the board and the finance committee to put in policy and commit to this was a big thing because this truly was how we were going to start to right the ship. And the next thing we had to do, as you saw the slide earlier, we had to figure out what people wanted. What did they want to do? So this to me is a very inexpensive thing. I've talked about this at another presentation before. But we started doing listening sessions, okay? How do, we, how do we figure this out? We didn't want to do a big fancy survey that cost a lot of money. We didn't want to sit there and just talk. How did we figure out what did the people want? How did they view the club? So I started doing listening sessions. I'd do one or two a month. I would do them either in the morning or in the midday. I would have some free coffee and donuts, whatever it was. And we would focus on certain things. So if it was a fitness listening session, I would say to the fitness director, look, I don't want to know who's coming. You pick randomly, and I wanted to be random, but here's kind of the outline I wanted. I wanted someone who took exercises classes. I wanted someone who um, uses it at night, using a day, uses a trainer, doesn't. I wanted a good mix of members, and I invited them in. And I invited them into my listening sessions. I wouldn't have, you know, if we were doing a food and beverage one, I wouldn't have the chef sitting there because then people sometimes didn't want to say things in front of the chef, right? Or they didn't want to say things in front of the fitness director because that's their friend. So I would bring in the members, I would bring in eight at a time, and I would say, okay, there's only four or five simple rules here. One, this is a listening session, so I'm not going to do a lot of talking. I'm just going to ask four or five questions. I'm, going to, um, I'm not going to defend anything unless you're grossly wrong but I'm just here to listen to what you have to say. But I want you to know, whatever you tell me, I am taking it back to the chef or the fitness director, whoever it is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them know what was said, not who said it, but they've gotta know because the flip side of this was, I had to convince and make my team understand 
that this wasn't a witch hunt. Because that was the first thing. Well, what do you want to talk to them for? Why can't I be in that room, right? I wanted them to trust me to know that I'm going to find this out and I'm going to pass on this information, but I know they're not going to talk openly in front of you, but you're going to know everything. So they would come in and I would ask four or five simple questions. These would be 45 minutes long. And the first one was always, so if it was fitness, you know, what's the best thing you like about Farmington Fitness? If you own Farmington, what would be the one thing you would change? And I would ask some simple questions, but really started what happening, members started kind of understanding that their viewpoint isn't always what the other viewpoints are. This was a non-threatening place, but it's amazing what you hear. My other rule for them was, if this is a fitness listening session, we're not talking about food and beverage. If you wanna talk about something else outside of this, I'll gladly listen to you, but if this is fitness, we're only talking about fitness at this time. If this is golf, we're only talking about golf. Um, but one of my favorites in food and beverage was, who has the best burger in town? Oh, I think five guys. Oh, are you crazy? And members would start to fight with each other. And then they would look at me and say, I don't know how you do your job, right? <laughs> but in 45 minutes, I started getting ambassadors and people understanding and going. And if they had someone else they knew was a grump, they would start to tell me, oh, next time you do one of these, you need to invite you know, John. You really need to talk to John, right? So now I start to find out who some of these people out there are kind of those loud mouths or those people that are um, causing a lot of angst or very upset, right? It's amazing the things you find out. I had no idea how bad our disposable razors were ticking people off, all right? It not only came up in fitness, but after fitness, after dining, so many people would come to me and ask about our cheap razors. So then I go to my fitness director and I say, Robin, um, what's going on with the razors? She goes, well, what do you mean? And a smile came across her face. She goes, I get them for five cents a piece from blah, blah, blah. I said, well, they're really, uh, they're really upsetting a lot of people. <laughs> and she looked at me. I said, just change the razors, right? She changed the razors two weeks later. I was a hero. Wow, someone's listening to us, right? But it's amazing what people won't tell you or what they do and how you figure this out. These were 45 minutes. Again, doesn't cost you a lot of money, but it's amazing how you start to find out and really put a plan together on what people think and where they're going. This was the other one. We had to also educate and understand that we had a respect for traditions, but we weren't tradition bound, right? This is the thing we all battle, and there's no, again, magic bullet, but you've got to start kind of telling people this. You've got to start kind of getting this into their headsets, that yes, while we used to always do these things and that's who we are, but we do got to evolve. One of my favorites, I'll read it if you can't read it. My wife says camping was a tradition in our family. It was a tradition in everyone's family until we invented the house, right? When you start kind of highlighting these things for people and they start to realize, okay, we have to start doing something, right? And we started trying to rally the committees and the groups around this change. This is really hard to read, but I remember I found this at one of the San Diego conferences. When I talk to students about this and I tell them I found this in a newspaper, they laugh at me yet again um, that I look at a newspaper. But this was in a paper when I was at the San Diego conference. We were going through this process. Everybody was worried about what the members were going to say about the master plan and the changes. But here was Johnny Walker Blue, okay? Inspired by 190 years of history, but not bound by it. This struck me so hard that here is an alcohol company that can't really change that much, right? Your ingredients are your ingredients. If you change your bottle too much, then people might not recognize you as your brand. 
But here's a company that just sells liquor, trying to tell the world, we've been here for 190 years, but we're not bound by what we used to do. So I hurry up and I, I sent this to my president and I said, if Johnny Walker Blue can do this, we can do it. And he says, oh, I thought you were suggesting having Johnny Walker Blue at the board meetings. <laughs> but everybody's going through this, right? So when you start getting worried about change and you start looking about your membership, their companies and their life is going through the same thing. You just have to show them and highlight for them, we're all doing this together. And the more you start getting people to do that and understand that, the more you're gonna start seeing more successes. So then we had to decide who we wanted to be when we grew up. So at that point, we were starting the master plan. There's lots of stuff out there on strategic plans and master plans and all these things. And our club used to do a lot of these, but like most of your clubs, every time the governance would change, you'd get a whole new group of ideas, a whole group, and we had plans and plans and plans in my office when I first started. And it's amazing the money we spent on plans without having this master plan. So we went together and we put together a master plan. But it wasn't just a master plan. We had to get the membership involved in this because it wasn't just a bunch of people in a dark room that comes out like, you know, Moses or whoever with the, the Ten Commandments or whatever, right? They had to feel that they were involved. They had to feel that they were part of it. They have to feel that they wanted this. So what we started doing, you can't read this slide, but we started putting up a marketing campaign for our membership. But we really started kind of rallying them around. We returned 100 in 2027. So we started putting the banner around, what does Farmington look like when we turn 100? Now you're asking members to start thinking in the future. You're asking members to start visualizing change, difference. Because if you ask them right now, what do you think the club should offer? Well, I think it's fine. We shouldn't be spending any money on anything else. We're good. But when you start saying, well, what do we look like when we're 100? What does the club look like? Now their mind starts to change. So then we started showing them, hey, look, since 1927, we had these timelines and groupings of the changes that the club went through, because a lot of them weren't there, some of them were there. But then they start seeing, wait a minute, this place has always been kind of evolving. We need to change. And this again starts getting that membership. A keynote to note before this, right before I got there, there was a huge capital campaign that was voted down, and it was voted down bad. The membership didn't feel with the economy and all these things, and there was nothing wrong. We didn't need to change anything. So there was a divide in the club at this point. So part of this campaign was really getting everybody to start getting thinking forward. And then we started creating, and I put a logo to it. You'll see this, and I stole this from, again, we steal ideas from everybody, right? From the Johnny Walker concept, Every time we would put something new about the strategic plan, the master plan, we wanted people to take notice of it. So we created this blueprint logo with 2027 on it, but in the bottom I had them put a foundation of history building the future. Now you're again subconsciously trying to get people involved in thinking we've got to keep moving, we've got to keep growing. But also we know when you put things out, nobody reads it. When did this come? I have a kitchen that's being built right now and I had a member out there who's on the strategic planning committee say to me, what are we doing here, Joe? This is the kitchen that we just planned, right? But they don't pay attention. But when we started getting them trained, when they saw this blue logo, this was something important about the future. I need to pay attention. And we created this whole Farmington 2027 concept. 
And the membership committee was using this and we stole it for a club-wide thing. We started looking at what's essential for the club today. What are we doing? And we boiled it down to these three R's. The retention, the relevance, and recruitment. Every major decision now at our club is boiled down to these three R's. We're even doing it on the staff side too, but I can't tell you how many board meetings I've sat in and they were wringing their hands over a decision and it comes down to, okay, well, how does this fit into the three R's? And if it didn't fit into the three R's one way or another, then it was a no or it was a yes. But what this also did, again, subconsciously started getting everybody focused, our membership focused, we need to keep recruiting and retaining our members. How do we keep that happening? It starts framing the conversation. The three R's, we have a mission statement, we have vision statements, we have all these big documents with all these words, but it's amazing to me now when you walk around the club and you hear members saying the three R's. Simple, easy. And the next thing, when you really start getting into innovation and talking, um, this is an exercise again, this is just ideas and concepts to figure out what do we need to do? Where do we need to go? So the first step that, that and I, I stumbled upon this to be honest with you, I was new with the, the senior staff and my leadership team, so I sat down with a group of what I call my, management, my leadership team, which is anybody who's a supervisor or higher. I do a meeting once a month with them, we do an education, a lot of you do these things. And I sat with the leadership team and I said, okay. I broke everybody up, I think, into eight groups, and I said, okay, for the next five minutes, I want you to, no matter how crazy the idea is, what is the club for in the future? Whatever it is, just put it down. No holds bar. So in five minutes, I had everything from dog hair salon to helipad to you name it, right? I said I had over 225 ideas in five minutes of just random big picture ideas, right? Some of them were pretty good ideas, some of them were pretty far-fetched. So then I thought, well, this is a pretty cool idea, let me take this to the board. So we did our board retreat not too long after that. I divided the board up and I said, okay, for the next five minutes, no hold the bar, what do you think the club should offer in the future? Again, I had almost two or 300 ideas in five minutes. I then took those ideas and overlapped them, and it was amazing. It was almost like 69% of the ideas overlapped with also where the leadership team thought they should be. Where do you think we start getting our ideas to start focusing on things for the club? Where do you start looking to find where this is? But then you can take it back to the board and to the leadership team saying, remember when you all wanted this idea or you all thought of this? Well, here we're gonna start putting a plan together to do this. These again, these don't cost you a lot of idea, a lot of money, not a lot of time, and you aren't the one as the leader have to come up with these grand ideas. You just start getting it from other people and you start putting a plan together on how you achieve it. Nothing but the facts. I stumbled upon this one. We were giving, um, being in a small town, you know, we all face this. It's the leadest behind the gates. Nobody really understands what we do or how important we are to the community. And I do a whole thing on community engagement. But we started looking at things and I started realizing our members don't even know how big of a business we are. 
To them, we're the club where they had their burger, they're the club where they play golf. They have no idea how large of an operation that we were. So at this particular time, I started pulling these fun facts. And I started sharing it with boards and committees. And it really opened up their eyes, but also sharing it with our team, because some of our staff had no idea what we do. Everything from, at that point, 35,000 rounds, 32,000 pool visits, uh, 135,000 meals in the restaurant. Um, and we put fun facts with that, too. That's enough to feed a family of four three meals a day for 30 years, right? So we started kind of making this real for them. Uh, the one I always like is the um, 20 pounds of vanilla extract. I don't know about anybody you, but I've moved five times, and I still have this little two-ounce bottle with me <laughs> that I've had for years. We go through 20 pounds a year in our pastry shop. 200,000 towels folded, washed and folded. If we put them on top of each other, it's the cruising altitude of the jet. We don't talk about the towels that get stolen and go missing, right? But what we started doing is really starting to highlight for our membership, we are a business. We have so many things, but it also starts to create this pride factor. And I started sharing this with people. And the board, it's funny when you walk around, the board members, I'd be walking through the dining room or whatever, and they'd be like, well, do you know we have, uh, you know, 200 pounds of vanilla extract? Their numbers were wrong and I didn't care. Let them talk about it. But it really started putting an idea in our general membership's mind that we have a lot of things going on here to be proud of. So you have these things. This actually folded into our annual report now. Every year we put out our annual report and we now have our fun facts for the year. Um, we started a $5 burger night many, many moons ago. We were doing maybe 30 people a night on Mondays. We're now doing 300 on burger night. So I think our fact this last year was we served like 27,000 burgers on burger night or something, a crazy number. Again, it's just involving your membership and giving them the information to understand how big of an operation. It doesn't matter the size of your club. It's always going to surprise them. So then we move into the membership and marketing side. So now you really got to start... You know, you're looking at your business, you've got your ideas flowing, you have some amazing things to plan. Now you gotta start going after and getting the membership and understanding where you're going with it. And again, I did this for the PCMA group, so I did focus a lot more on some of this, but this is the one question I've always asked, especially to membership sales and general managers. How would you rate your club? We get so focused on just the sale or the membership conversion or whatever this may be, right? How often have you walked around with a critical eye thinking, if I were to join today, what would I want? What would my family want? Doesn't mean you have to make the change, but if you start to feel and see things, you start planting the seeds for your leaderships to start focusing on the right things. How would you rate your club? So many of you, I've walked around with your club and you're like, well, we have this, we have this, we have this. I said, well, do you and your family, would you enjoy this? Oh, have, here? Oh, hell no, right? Why? Right? How would you rate your club? You're just as much entitled to your opinion and your focus and where things need to go as everybody else. Are you helping lead it? Another trap we all fall into. But you gotta remember, we're selling a lifestyle, not just a membership. 
That's so often when I've seen tours at clubs or members have tours or we've given tours. We talk about what the membership gives you, right? But do you highlight what they're gonna be doing with their families? And here's where your family's gonna be doing this and here's where your wife can be doing this, right? We're selling lifestyle. All the studies on millennials, and I hate these categories because people are people, but millennials, they're saying don't want to belong to clubs. Now their study comes out the next day, well, they might want to belong to clubs, but they don't want to be super exclusive. Well, okay, they want exclusive experiences, but they don't want, I mean, you start going down these paths, right? Everybody's looking for a lifestyle now. Are you selling a lifestyle with your club or are you just talking about what the membership does for you? you? Membership, you get golf. Membership, you get this. Or is it, hey, every Friday night we do this on the golf course, you and your family will be out there playing when we do our junior club championships, or whatever it is, right? Are you selling the lifestyle or just the membership when people are coming through your doors? Another thing that, that people fall trapped to is they're joining the club and not a category. So often I've heard membership directors ask, well, are you looking to be a social member or a, a, a full comprehensive or whatever the titles are, right? And you start talking to them about that category. You're selling the club. What is the spirit, your essence, the lifestyle at your place? Selling the club, talking about the club. Oh, and at the end of the tour, it's a different conversation. And are your due structures and your initiations and everything focused? When I got to Farmington, there was like seven different categories for initiation fees. We've got it down to two or three now. Because my whole concept, and we talked about it, and it took a while to get people to believe this, you're joining the club, your due structure is where you get your break if you're gonna do something different. You're not gonna pay less because you think you're gonna use the club less, right? And a lot of clubs kind of take this tactic but we were able to start focusing, and again, that helps build those capital dollars on what we're doing. Affinity groups. This really started to change a lot for us. We started to identify affinity groups within our club. What does that mean? You have the groups that like certain things, you have groups that do certain things, such as real estate agents, such as dentists, such as you go through it, book club people, right? We started to really try to figure out who these affinity groups were within our club, but also outside of our club. We're fortunate enough to have the UVA, as I mentioned, down the street. Some of you have major corporations, some of you have other universities, some of you have whatever it is in your community or your area, there are things that you could start to partner with or highlight to use at the club. An example, one of the groups we had, and we, again, very fortunate to have the UVA, we started partnering on events and things with the Alumni Association. There's 30, 40,000 people in the Alumni Association at the University of Virginia. They love Charlottesville, it's like a drug. If you've ever been there, they all wanna come back to Charlottesville, right? They're all coming back for things. Well, how do you start to get them to understand the club? what the club offers, the overnight rooms, the, um, the non-resident membership, all these things, right? There's the athletic groups. You know, we have really started to work ourselves with the lacrosse teams and things like that, and finding ways to get the different groups to come and use the club and find and understand who the club is. We have a student mentorship, I'm sorry, membership program. 
Um, if your parents are non-residents, they can pay a little bit more, and the students can come use the club without their parents. At first, this was the most controversial thing. They even put limits on the amount of students. Um, but we did a study recently, brought in another $100,000 a year in dues and revenue by having the students being able to come to the club. It's amazing, again, it's a different world. At one point during finals or spring break or whatever it was, I grabbed my club manager to walk around the club. We counted 62 students studying at the club. I didn't study at a country club. But they come here to get away from everything. But what's it doing? It's creating that experience with them, that affinity with them. They come to the club. Where do they want to come back when they come back to Charlottesville to join? Where do they get their parents to want to join? Their friends are calling their parents saying, you need to join this club so we can go use it. Our, to, our food and beverage from this group. It's the craziest thing, but that's what we've embraced. Some of the members don't understand it. They should go to the library, according to some of our members. But we have to do certain things. We create study halls for them when we know it's finals week and we'll put some free popcorn and some drinks into the ballroom, which no one's using, to kind of get them to go there. Now what are they thinking about the club? Again, this is that millennial or whatever it is group coming up through now that at some point we're changing their opinion on what a club is. This is the long game. It's maybe not the short game, but this is the long game. What do you have? What do your membership have? Okay, sorry. Another thing with Affinity Group, an idea we did. We realized in looking at our membership, we didn't have a lot of the dentists in town. We have a lot of dentists in the area, but we didn't have a lot of dentists that were members. How do we do that? So we went to a couple of the dentists that we know, and we said, look, what do you think about putting a small little 15 or 16 person golf group together? You'll come out, play some golf, we'll do a cookout for them and their families. Um, you as the members, We'll charge you cost, it was a minimal charge, golf doesn't cost us anything, right? It was on a Monday or a Tuesday. You invite six or seven of your dentist friends, come on, have over, it'll look like you're hosting them for a party. And they knew our intent, because one of them was on the membership committee, we're trying to introduce the club to more people, so we'll charge you minimal dollars and you can hold this party for the dentists in town. They went, they played golf, Afterwards, the membership director, myself, and a few other members were there, the spouses were there. We ended up getting four or five new membership applications within a week. Most of them were like, I had no idea what you offered here. No one's ever asked me to come here or no one's ever invited me. So what do you have? What are those groups, the real estate agents? Are there things in your club that you can start identifying and getting them to exposure to the club? Another thing we like to do, a lot of us have trouble with the sales, the ask. We struggle, I struggle with the ask, right? That's just not in my nature, I'm in hospitality. But we started realizing, you ask your members to invite people to the club to look at the club, but they're afraid to make the ask, depending on, especially if your initiation fees are in six figures and things like that, right? No one really wants to ask their friends sometime to join. So you wait. So we started realizing, well, how do we make the ask early, easy, and how can we do this? So this is a one-pager front and back. We've started putting together, it's a personal invitation to join. We put all the facts which you need to know. We also highlighted all the special projects and things we had going on at the club this last year. And then we went to all the committee members. We have 110 people involved in governance at our club. I'll say when I got there, right before I got there, there were 33 committees. That was crazy. 
We're down to 13 right now. But we had 110 people involved in governance. So we went to them and said, look, here's a PDF. We'd like you to send this to some of your friends. So if you know of anybody who might be interested in the club, just send this off to them. It made it easy for them. Now if I'm sitting there, I say to my friend, hey, I don't know if you're interested, but here you go. It markets all the great things that are going on at the club, the family lifestyle, it talks about certain things, and it makes it easy. You have a hundred and some, whatever your governance structure is, you have a lot of people involved in your organization. How do you make it easy for them? We started doing prospective member dinners. When we first started doing it, we're fortunate to have 36 or 38 wineries around Charlottesville. So at first we were doing these wine dinners featuring the wineries in town. Then we said, wait a minute, what are we doing here? We should be featuring our chef. We have a world-class chef. We have all these great things. Instead of featuring the wineries in town, let's start featuring the club. So now we, we do these wine dinners where a third of it is membership committee or governance or someone involved in leadership. A third of the group are people that joined in the last six months to a year. And a third of the group are people that are interested in membership, that are in the pipeline, that we know are interested in things like that, right? So they come for a great night. This one was featuring Chef Mike and blah, blah, blah. They come in, so what starts to happen? The new members are now your biggest salesmen, your biggest advocates. They're talking to the people that are thinking about joining. Well, here's the process we went through and here's what we did and this is great. And you have the governance going on. We have probably about an 87% closing rate after we do these wine dinners. Because they come, they have a great night, they meet other people, they see they, there's other people like me, here are their experiences. And it was probably almost an 87%, we do two of them a year. 50 people, 50 to 60 people per dinner. So a third of those are prospective members. <coughs> this, one sh this one hit me, and some of you may be looking at me like I'm an idiot and you've been doing this forever, but all the clubs that I was involved in, and some of those are very prestigious clubs, we all have the member guest, tennis member guest, the golf member guest. But usually it's the same person bringing the same guest for the last 15 years, or it's their brother, but there are some new members. But the whole purpose of a member guest in its initial thought was to invite and uh, introduce the club to people who might be interested. And we know that's not always what happens anymore. My membership director came to me and said, hey, do you mind if we get the contact information for the people, for the member guests, and send them a note about the club? And at first I was like, oh God, no, oh no, that, that, we're not gonna do that. And he said, well, why not? And we started talking about this. So then we took it to the member and we asked them, we didn't just do this, we said to the members, hey, you know your guest, member guest, do you mind if we send them a little thank you and a follow-up? Nobody had a problem with this. But it was amazing how many people would say, I've been coming to that club for 10 years or five years or whatever. I just, I didn't know how to do it and John never asked me or Susie never asked me, so I really didn't know. We made it easy. We just sent this one little one pager. Hey, if you're interested, here's some information on the club. Thanks for your visit. Here's what you need to know. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I can't tell you how many clubs I've been involved with. The member guest is a great party, but the ask is never there. Once we get people involved in the club, we give them their orientation, we take their checks or whatever it is, and then they're into the club. 
we realized we needed to stay in touch. So we created this nine month, I think it's nine month, uh, email campaign where once a month they get a contact from the club updating them about something. Because we started realizing people join the club and then if your event is the holiday event, nobody tells you how to sign up for things unless you know or you've learned it. So right before the pool season would start or right before those holidays events, months out, we would send a note, hope you're enjoying the club, the holiday season's right around the corner, here's some things you need to know about the holiday events or how we do things. Or hey, the pool season's coming, here's how you sign up for pool lessons. But also in that time, if they have any questions about other things, they're gonna respond back to Tom or whoever sent the email saying, thanks for this, oh by the way, can you tell me X? It's keeping that touch, that pulse, but keeping the club, because if you don't really catch them in those first couple months and they don't make a lot of friends, how many of us have seen people drop out of the club? When it's all they needed was just a little more touch. Now we're not trying to create friends and move people in, but we're creating opportunities for them to figure out how to learn the system. I stole this one from Nick Markle. He was at um, the Country Club in Pepperdike. A lot of you do these kind of things. Um, the Baby Big program. First off, members never tell us when they have kids, so we, our databases are crazy. So we're always trying to figure out how do we update the database. We have this amazing children's place, but if they never had kids, they never had a reason to use it, maybe they don't know quite what the club offers. So we started offering this baby bib program, where you get a free baby bib with our logo on it. So all you gotta do is come into the, to the children's place, We'll give you a tour of the children's place. We give you this bib. We take your child's picture because it's going to be in the newsletter. Everybody wants to show off their baby in the newsletter. And now we have information. Now we've introduced them to the children's place. But more importantly, we can't market. But man, those people take their babies everywhere. And if other families see the Farmington Country Club baby bib, it might start to change their perception about what the club is, or at least they get to ask about it, right? Something that costs you minimal dollars could have some huge, long-lasting effect. Guest membership trial program. This is controversial for some. Um, we are at the point, we're fortunate where we are now, we're not doing this quite yet, but I will I want to just make one highlight about guest memberships. This isn't a scientific number, this is what I feel, but I think 75% of the clubs out there that do guest memberships or some form of guest membership are doing it all wrong. Majority of the clubs out there do it to get people interested in the club, great. They do them kind of the same way, you don't pay initiations, but you just pay the dues and you get to use the club for a period of time. But most of the clubs do it during like the holiday season, I'm sorry, the, the pool season, the summer season, right, in New England, areas like that. But they do it from May to August. We started looking at the program at this particular time we were doing it, and we started our guest membership in April, and it ended in June. Thought process being, the pool season's just in high season, kids are on swim team, people are seeing you, your friends are seeing you at the club. If most turn into a summer membership, right? I'm just gonna do the guest trial, but I'll, you know, in August, yeah, I'm not quite sure, maybe next year. But now if you're making them make a decision in June, it's like the, the car salesman, why don't you take this car home for the night, right? They want you to see you driving it, your friends seeing you have it. 
And then how are you gonna tell your friends you don't have that car while just testing it, right? So ours runs from, well, ran from April to June. You had to make a decision. But also, we also tied our initiation increases around that same time. So you have the option. You can join the guest trial membership in April, but you gotta pay the new initiation fee in June. Or, we know you're gonna stay, we know you're gonna like it, you get the reduced rate if you just sign up now and be done with it. We have an 87 or 89% closing rate when we had our guest memberships after we started doing it this way. Prior to this, it was a summer membership. Oh, I'm gonna test out the club. I'm not quite sure yet. So if you have any program like this or you're doing any program like this, make sure and take a look at your program. Are you doing it with the right intention and what you're trying to do? This is the one I'm still trying to figure out. So afterwards, if you have ideas, I'll gladly, please send them to me, email them to me. But we're looking at this. And I had a debate with a couple people on our executive committee the other day about this. And one took the stand, well, we shouldn't be rewarding people for their membership, their membership's their reward. Okay, great. But tell me this, why does the gas station know more about our membership and membership's habits than we do? Why is every single grocery store rewarding members for just showing up? Why is the coffee place giving them free coffee every so often just for showing up? And if you're foolish, if you don't think, maybe not the generation that's in the club today, but that generation that's coming up, the video gamers, the, 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 the achievers, all that, they're looking for these types of things. We need to be thinking about these for our club. How do you call them rewards, call them loyalty, call it whatever you want, but that generation that's coming in, it's the achievement. It's the video game theory, right? I do this, I get this level. Now I'm a little bit better because my, my bag is blue instead of red or whatever it is. If you don't think they're gonna expect something like this in your clubs, well, we'll wait and see. We're still trying to figure this out. It's expensive. It doesn't always have to be money. But how are we rewarding loyalty, longevity, tenure? I got into a debate with my CFO the other day. Well, should we be rewarding tenure or should we be rewarding um, usage? Well, both. How do we figure out something for both? Right? This is what people are expecting, in my opinion. What are you doing about it? This piece here, membership marketing. If you have a membership director, it's not just their job. Does your senior staff know this? Our team talks about membership on a regular basis. It's amazing, my golf pro, my tennis pro are our biggest salesmen right now. They'll come to us and say, hey, we just saw so-and-so bring uh, their guests three times here. You might wanna make sure they, or get them something, they might want a membership. Membership is everybody's job. It used to be siloed, not anymore. Membership is everybody's job. Does your team understand that? Communication. The president of High Point University said this at one of our club manager sessions, and it stuck with me. We're going through capital campaign, going through change, people are afraid of change. And he said, people are not afraid of change they actually like change. What they're afraid of is what they're going to lose in that change. And a lightning bolt went off. 
And I started thinking about all the collateral and the material of our master plan and our strategic plans and everything we were doing. We were celebrating we're gonna have a new golf course or we're gonna have a new kitchen or a new this and a new that. And we couldn't understand why some of the members were just denying we don't need to do this. There's nothing wrong with the club. When I started realizing they're afraid they're gonna lose it. So that changed everything for us. We started highlighting in all our material, anytime we talk about change, how it's not gonna change for you that much, or here's how it's going to enhance it. It's amazing how that attitude shift started happening around the club when you start framing it and looking, well, how do we remind people what we're doing, but they're not gonna lose the club, but it's gonna be a little different. Again, you're looking for buy-in, you're looking for people to wanna to do things. Newsletters. How many people here are still printing your newsletters? Okay. I know everybody's budgets are different. I know everybody has different skill sets or different um, resources. But I can't tell you how important our printed newsletter is for our membership. I'm gonna give you some points why. If you can only do one or two a year, you should consider it. We have 20, 500 plus members, okay? Some of those non-resident members come to the club maybe once a year. Their only connection to the club is that monthly newsletter that they receive and touch in their hand. That's number one. They get the email, but how many of us just uh, email delete, I'll read that later, I'll read that later, right? While it saves us money, saves us time, the, 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 the PDF only of a newsletter, we do both, because some just want that, we do them both. That's the first thing. Second thing, when you really start talking about marketing and we are limited to our marketing base, right? The newsletter starts to tell a story about who you are as a club. They go on their, their coffee tables, they go in their offices, other people get to see it, pick it up and touch it. They can't do that with a PDF in somebody's email box. You may have a long wait list and you may not have any problems and you may say to me, it doesn't matter, that's fine. But there's a lot of clubs that I talk to out there are trying to struggle to how do you get out your message. When you look at this cover here, when people thought Farmington was an old stodgy club and here we are on January 1st doing a polar bear plunge, right? Or we have the nice views or we have art and sophistication, your newsletter tells your story to those people that may not understand who you are. So think about it. If you're not printing your newsletter, maybe once a year, we do an annual report, or maybe twice a year, you should strongly consider it because that PDF in somebody's email box is sitting there with all the other ads from Steinmart and Rooms to Go or whoever else you're getting them from, right? And it's amazing when we have pictures of kids on the newsletter, how many newsletters we run out of at the club because they're taking them for all their families to send to, the, to send to their relatives. And you can be strategic, we're all in a circle of trust here so I'm gonna give you an insight. We took one of our crankiest, hardest, oldest members, we put their grandchild on the cover of our Halloween issue and now we're superstars, right? Strategy, look at the opportunities that you have to tell your story, but also 
kind of move things forward for you. Technology again, apps, you, you gotta be doing this. I know um, we're limited, no offense to any company out there, but clubs is a small market. There's 4,000 and some clubs out there. It's a small market, so we have limited base on technology. And everybody wants to sell you a new app. Every one of my members who has a technology company has a better idea how to do it. But you gotta do it carefully, that's all I'm saying. Make sure it integrates with all your other systems. Otherwise, you're paying a lot of fees for a lot of different things, and what happens when that member leaves or you don't have that company anymore, you're in trouble. But you have to start doing this if you're not doing it. And you can do it slow, you don't have to go all in. We've been kind of slowly rolling out pieces of our app, um, and the membership's loving it. Communication. This one, again, it's changing. So in perspective, when I first did this presentation, um, so many managers say, we're a private club, we're not doing Instagram. My lawyers won't let me do it, or whatever. And everybody has a reason not to do it. But there is ways to do it that doesn't jeopardize you, but there's also ways to do it to tell your story. We allow our chef, who does a really good job, you can see his on the right, a Farmington Chefs, I think is the name of it, um, Instagram, he does amazing posts. And usually after I do these presentations, he gets a lot of followers. Then he gets excited and comes to me and goes, hey, I just got 100 followers last night. I said, calm down, chef, you're not that cool. I was just talking about you. <laughs> Kidding, we can joke with each other. But look, the beehives we have, all the food we're doing, but it's amazing what our Instagram feed has been doing for us. It shows professionalism to our members. When they see them training in the kitchen, they're no longer just the cooks or the people in the kitchen. Wow, I saw a chef doing this or doing that. I didn't know we had beehives or whatever it is, right? But on the other side of it, he's posting the cakes we did for the wedding last week. It's amazing how many times members come into your offices, your catering offices, with pictures from places and other places they've gone or other cakes that they've had. I want you all to do something like this. Can you really do that? I mean, I know I had the, the cookie thing in the, in the grill the other day, but can you really do this cake, right? They have no idea of our professional abilities. But man, when they see it online, <laughs> we know what we're doing. So many people started coming into our wedding and catering events saying, wow, I saw you did this decor, or wow, I saw you did this cake, I want something just like this. Not, hey, here's my club in Florida, this is what they do, do you think you can do it? It's amazing how people's perception of your professionalism, but also telling your story of who you are, what you have, and it gives them pride in their club. So the Instagram, um, I think I have one more up here. We have a food truck. Uh, we, I would say we were one of the first to have a food truck back in 2012, 2013. Um, it used to have its own Twitter. Twitter's going by the wayside, but it used to have its own Twitter handle. So members could follow the food truck, where it was around the property, what we were offering that day near the food truck, and it was amazing how many people really started getting excited about who we are and what we have. What else can you do around the club? I advise you though, don't just hand it to your restaurant manager and say, or your pastry chef, hey, start putting your cakes out there. Because if they don't understand how it's done or they don't understand what to do it, they could hurt you just as bad as help you. So we go through a process to make sure they understand how to do it how they have their own brand, what that means for the club, and then they kind of start doing that. YouTube. 
You know the saying, if it's not on Instagram or it's not on the internet, it doesn't happen, you don't exist. We hired a videographer as part of our communications team. You can follow us on Farmington Country Club. Um, we use it for a variety of things. If you want a good laugh, there's a, uh, the, our golf pro does one, the tale of Mr. Etiquette and Mr. Rude, and he kind of makes fun of members to some degree on the golf course, but kind of teaches etiquette for golf. They love it. They're sending it out to everybody. Um, we talk about the fitness things we're doing. We talk about some of the activities in 4th of July. You have to start figuring out video. It's expensive. There's companies out there that will do it. That's a way to do it. If you have the ability to have someone in-house, might be something you want to look at. But the video is, um, it's amazing. We're doing a big construction project right now. We send out all these video, I mean, all these links to the, the, the data and the, this is what's going on. And we had to recently take down a bunch of trees. Trees that everybody felt Thomas Jefferson planted himself. Um, but they took down the trees. And we're getting gripes. You really didn't have to take down the tree. I'm like, well, that's where the kitchen's going. Well, do you really have to take it down? This is a true conversation. Do you really have to take that tree down? I said, well, sir, I haven't figured out how to build a kitchen around that tree yet, but um, I'm sure we'll, we'll be okay. My horticulturist who's been there for 35 years, everybody loves Janet. So we had Janet do a video of how we saved the plants and the trees that did have to come down, why they had to come down. All of a sudden, because Janet said it, and they watched it on a two-minute video, I don't have any complaints about the trees anymore. So Janet's gonna be there with me for every video from this point forward. But who are those people that people trust in your club? How do you get them involved? Video is where we're going. It's stressful, it's scary. I don't fully understand all of it. But my team understands it, and it helps. So when you are doing a special project at your club, how are you engaging the members? We know the stories, we know the rumors, what the heck's going on around here, nobody told me this, nobody told me that. So we started during, this was our first $10 million project that we did a few years back, um, where we're doing golf courses and uh, new grill and a whole bunch of other things. We started doing a weekly topic. I didn't sit and write it the whole time. My construction manager every week gives me an update of what's going on this week or next week, what to expect. We put it in a format with some pictures and we send it out to the membership. The unintended consequence of this was I now have a written history or rec recording every week of what happened, when it happened, and how it went. So now I can go back and look at things. That's the first side effect. Number two, you'll see we're doing a golf course project and we started and we had a lot of anti-people against this project. No surprise. So we started doing these golf course tours during the project with the golf pro, which everybody trusts, and more importantly, my superintendent, who everybody trusts. It wasn't me leading this. It wasn't the president of the club. We had them walking out telling about how great it is, and this is what we're doing, and this is where, by the time the project ended, they were the architects, the members. They knew all, oh, well, yeah, we really did the undulation here because of this, right? They're engaged. They're taking ownership. The pride starts to come through these things. The writing's on the wall. So we had, you can see this ugly chain link fence at one point um, during the beginning part of construction. Um, we had our communications team put those banners, that Farmington over 100, but we also had what was going on, but more importantly, what the future projects are. Here's where we're going in the future. So again, you're planting seeds. 
But really what starts to happen is so many members would walk by this and rather say, I don't know what the hell they're doing here. They're just wasting money, right? They have guests with them now. And they're, well, yeah, this, is, you know, this year we did this. Oh, yeah, and then we're going to be doing this here. Again, they start taking ownership. They start understanding what's going on. So do you have these things during these projects or things going on um, that you can start marketing and selling? Make sense? And the drones are coming. The drones are here. We have a drone. We had a drone for a period of time. Then we had to stop using the drone because we found out you have a pilot's license to use the drone. So I had to send my superintendent to get his license. <laughs> but we were tracking the, the project. And we would show videos on occasion of the project. We also have a written history of it. We're doing another golf course project now. So my superintendent went out and he did this whole thing where this is what it is because we know half the changes members won't recognize, but they're going to say they do. And we're gonna show them what the first hole looks like now and what it looks like when it's end. And again, we're using this for history and marketing. Um, you can hire companies to do this if you don't have a big staff. Drones aren't that expensive, just make sure you have the right licensing. Um, and it's something simple and easy to do. But they're here, do you have a drone policy? Um, a lot of weddings are starting to use them. There's lots of things that you've gotta start real realizing and doing um, when it comes to this. Inexpensive, members love to see it, and it's a way, great way to engage them in things. The last thing on communication we talk about is don't forget to tell your staff. Oh. Don't forget to tell your staff. We think we do, but are you really? The people in that meeting with you, your senior department heads, everybody understands what's going on, but does your staff. This was highlighted for me, an easy way to do this, those weekly construction updates that we were doing for the members, I would just post in the employee break room so they knew what was going on. Because who's getting asked the questions? And this really highlighted for me, Ray is his name, Ray's been at the club 35 years. Um, the bridge ladies were extremely upset that we were redoing the new the grill and this is gonna be awful and they're ruining the club and you know all those things, right? Ray was walking by one day when we were doing the temporary dining room and said to me something about the project. I said, well, Ray, didn't you see the, the drawings? He's like, no, I, I haven't seen them. I said, well, come on downstairs. I'll show it to you. Took him into my office, showed Ray the drawings. Very simple gesture that 90% of you would do in this room, right? The next day I'm walking through, the, the bridge ladies are there. They're going on and on about this and that. And then Ray's like, oh, well, Mr. Kren took me to his office. Said, you ladies are going to love it. Oh, my God, they're going to be doing this. And then they're moving. Ray, do you really think so? Oh, my God, you're going to love it. Well, Ray, if you think it's there, then it's okay. And I'm just smiling like, Ray, you and Janet are going on tour with me, right? Do you tell your staff? You think you do, but what about the banquet servers? What about the shoe shine people? All those staff members in your club, do they really understand what's going on? Are you doing these tours for them? We have a kitchen project going on right now. My chef and my club manager are doing a whole presentation as if we were doing it for the membership for anybody who's interested in what the new kitchen and locker rooms are going to look like. Do you take the time to do this? I know we're busy. You don't have to do it, but how do you do this? Last piece of this communication part is your community engagement. Are you engaging your community? What is the, what is, what is your perception of your club in your community? 
Are you the rich people behind the gates? Are you the snobby people? Are you the fun place? Are you the place hard to work, great to work? All these things, right? But what I started finding out is a lot of our community had no idea who we were. They knew us because they went to a rotary meeting there. They knew us because they'd been to a wedding or they drove by the golf course. But short of that, they had no idea. I give a full talk on community engagement, but the one slide I want to show you, I started, again, quantifying for my community who we were and how important we were to the community. And I had meetings with certain individuals to come in and I would give a presentation, but I would start to show them how important we were to our community. We were the 15th largest employer in that area. The gentleman raised his hand in the meeting said, well, how do you know that? I said, because I got it from your website. <laughs> True story. They have no idea. What is your payroll? Since we have so many non-resident members, we're a tourism, we're a travel and tourism piece. We're investing significant, I started showing them, but I started showing my board this, because my board had no idea how important we were to our community. What are you doing to heighten the activity and the perception of your club? It'll get you members, it'll get you staff. Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time. This is the thing we all battle. And there's no, again, magic bullet, but you've got to start kind of telling people this. You've got to start kind of getting this into their headsets. That yes, while we had a respect for traditions, but we weren't tradition bound. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. So let's talk about club events. If you watch this process, we walked you through the business. We walked you through how do you start looking in the future? How do you start buying, getting people to buy into what you're doing? But also, how are you getting your message out? The next thing we always focus on, again, when you talk about innovation, people don't think club events. If you don't have a large staff, if you don't have a large club, this is probably one of the locations you can be the most innovative. Again, if you're not buying into the thing that innovation is technology, right? So, project celebrations. There's so many things we do around our club that we just do it under the radar. We do it because we don't think anybody cares. More importantly, we do it because we just want to get it done. But what are you doing around your club that you can celebrate? This particular event, um, that's the Jefferson Room. Uh, we had to, the hand, original hand railing that went around the top of the club there, um, we had to find some wood carver that does some historic restorations. This is probably the most expensive handrail that I'll ever purchase in my life. Um, but we had to get it and put it back up on top of the club. In order to do this, we had to bring a crane in and we had to close down things and we had to have this big old process, right? So we decided, Let's not celebrate this, right? We just spent a lot of money, or the foundation spent a lot of money on this handrail, and we got to close down pieces of the club, we got this big process, let's celebrate this. So, um, we had a party, 
you can see on the top right picture there, we had people come out, we had um, champagne, and we had some people from the foundation talking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, yours truly was scared like you wouldn't believe as that crane was lifting that very expensive railing, thinking what if this falls, now I got this audience, it's gonna be interesting. Um, so we put what I called the crown back on onto the Jefferson Room. And as a surprise, that group in the bottom right, I did a drawing that they got to go up that night to the, rail, uh, to the widow's walk and have a toasted sunset um, for coming to the event. You wanna talk about people that are engaged. You wanna talk about people celebrating. You wanna talk about people who are really celebrating and then wanna do more for the club. You know, what else are you doing? We did one recently where we built a fire pit two years ago now. We put a new terrace, we had a new fire pit, and then we decided that we were gonna do the lighting ceremony of the fire pit. So we had these tiki torch things and we went out and we had music playing and we lit the fire pit, right? Nothing exciting. I sent a note to some of my friends that are in this room. Uh, one of my friends laughed when I got this video of this lighting of the fire pit, right? And he said, so when are you gonna celebrate the new pool furniture? And I thought, man, you got an idea there, right? How many things do you do that go unnoticed? How many things do you do that you can create an event that engages your membership in what you're doing? Stuff like this is easy, doesn't cost a lot. It also highlights how you're taking care of things and what you're doing. Club events. Again, I'm very, very fortunate to have UVA, so I'm gonna talk a lot about UVA during my talk about events, but that's what my membership embraces. That's what my membership loves. So, we had a member guest. My food and beverage director came to my CFO and said, I have a ton of product that I'm not able to move. We gotta find a way to move some of this product. What can we do? At that particular time, whenever this was, UVA was playing Vanderbilt in the College World Series and um, we called in some favors at the last minute to our local vendors. We got a big blow up screen. It didn't cost us anything because they owed us a favor or two. And we threw out this thing to the membership saying, come cheer on the Wahoos as they're watching at the game at the club. We had the first night 60 or 70 people just show up. The next night we had more. We sold beer for $2.50, getting rid of the product we needed to. We gave them free pop. And you want to talk about a membership that was excited and love and again friends and creativity And it didn't cost us anything but some time and some 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 cheap beer Is there something or someone you're connected to in your community that you can start doing and and celebrating and doing these ideas? Do you have local celebrities? Do you have people or organizations that people love and how can you again embrace that? This particular one, when we talk about whose job is selling and all that, so my golf pro comes to me and says, I was given a golf lesson to the director of the band, the, the marching band, NCAA, Division I, marching band, 300 kids. I was giving him a lesson the other day and he was talking to me about band camp ends and then they have their first game, but in between that, they always try to figure out what they can do for an audience to give them practice. So he comes to me and says, what do you think if we had the marching band come perform for our members, the last day of band camp? I said, okay, how much is it gonna cost? He says, that's the thing. The only thing we gotta do is feed them. 
Now, if you've never fed 300 kids from band camp, we go through a lot of groceries. But think about this. I now have 300 students coming to a club that they know nothing about, talking to their parents, where they're going, what they're doing. These are potential members. These are potential things. So I started seeing like, okay, there's an opportunity here. First year I was nervous because, you know, members don't like something new. They don't want to be the first ones to do it. And I was afraid we were going to have more kids than actual spectators, right? And we had a close number. Close number. Each year this has grown tremendously. This has become a huge event. We throw the food truck down there. We have some snacks. The band comes out for 45 minutes. They perform. They invite the kids to come down, touch the instruments. And you really talk about a community engagement. The band gets support from our members now, so there's fundraising for them, so there's a thing there. And I'm telling you, I've gotten a ton of members just because their kids have come to this band thing. Um, my pro was the lead guest conductor most recently, right? So how can you make this? And you look at the kids and they're having fun. Again, doesn't cost as much. How many country clubs have a division one marching band come play? And is all they're looking for is something to do. What can you do in your community? What other things are there? If it's not a marching band, what other opportunities are there in your towns that you can start embracing the community again? Demographics, a lot of people do some of these. We do Senior Appreciation Night. We've just changed the name recently because some people were having problems with the name Senior. Um, but we would have seniors come once a quarter, $2.50 wine. I still get complaints that the wine was $2.50. We should be giving them it free for all the dues they've paid. Um, and then the other big thing I get questions on is, well, how old am I to be a senior? I said, look, we're not carding you at the door. If you feel you're a senior, come on in. Um, so we have some of those freeloaders that come in that we all know, they're in our clubs. Um, but what this has done is this is a group of members that used to be very active in the club because of age, because of other factors. They've lost touch with some friends, they don't do that. Now once a quarter they're getting together for some free hors d'oeuvres and for $2.50 wine. Um, and it's created this, right? What else can you do that has these things? What are those demographics? And how do you start getting members to come and use and participate at the club? Some of these you don't even have to organize. I had a group of members come to me. I apologize, my Spanish is terrible, but Tertulia, is that what it is, Tertulia? Group of members came together to speak Spanish, wanted to have a time to get together um, to speak Spanish with each other. So I said, okay, well, what do you need? Well, we'd like a place to go. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you meet in the grill at four o'clock or whatever the time was, um, yeah, four o'clock, we're not busy, we'll give you some appetizers and you guys can get together, buy some wine or do whatever you wanna do. Um, the only thing we had to do was just place something in a newsletter. So visually, we're offering all these great things, but I have members doing this. Fitness, I talk about fitness, right? Fitness outside the fitness walls. How many of your members are into cycling, hiking, all these things, right? It's amazing what people will do for a free t-shirt. So we got a group of members who like to go cycling. We bought them some t-shirts to call them the Farmington Cycle Team or whatever that was on the shirt. And we asked them to lead on weekends, on occasion, these, these bike rides. And they're doing it. It looks like the club's doing it. But it's really members doing this, right? What are the things that your members are doing 
especially for those clubs that don't have a lot of staff, these are the things you should be looking at because the opportunity is sitting there. You just have to find a way to embrace it and use it. Wine clubs, we have a group of members who like wine, so we have the special interest groups. We do a little newsletter once a quarter um, that my beverage director does and it talks about wine. We have wine tastings. You can join the wine club for $60 or something. It gives you certain tastings, but then it gets them together and what do they do after they have wine together? They go to the dining room. Polar bear plunge, I showed this to you earlier. So every year the club had this tradition, January 1st, no matter how cold it is, uh, they jump into the water. But we never did anything with it. We just had the event, we talked about it, we showed a couple pictures in a newsletter and that was it. So we started saying again, everybody likes a free t-shirt. So we started getting t-shirts. The 2012 Polar Bear Plunge Farmington Country Club. We started posting everybody's name in the newsletter who did the jump or the plunge. God forbid you forget somebody's name, especially a child. Woo. That's what makes me nervous. But the t-shirt, what do you think that six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid is wearing their first day back to school? The Farmington Country Club Polar Bear Plunge. Again, you can't mark it, but you can if you really look at it. They start wearing that t-shirt with pride. We started hanging these little banners now in the pool snack bar, so every year, kids come in, first day of pool season, they're bringing their kids into the snack bar area, showing them where, again, creating pride, creating a community within your club. It's something a lot of you are already doing, but are you really taking it to that next level? It doesn't cost a lot of money, it doesn't cost a lot of time. Property-wide events. So we were renovating this golf course here, that wall from the 70s had to come down, blah, blah, blah. But we had to drain the pond. Now, years prior, the club had to drain a pond for something, and um, some members had called the authorities on the club because there were tadpoles that were still left in the pond. Um, they didn't understand why we were dredging it, and they wanted to make sure we did everything legally and all this stuff, right? So we had to drain this particular pond to do the golf course renovation. So what we decided to do was we had a save the fish event. I asked my superintendent to lead this. Scott led it. We had biggest fish cat, smallest fish, different age groups. We had some, some gifts cards to the local um, sport, sporting goods store in the area. We brought the food truck down there and we had this save the fish event. We saved 80 fish that day. Now my superintendent had to go in the next day and pull out another 350, but the members saved the fish. It also gave us a time to communicate to them why we were doing it, but they also felt they were part of it. I didn't get one complaint. I didn't get no uh, government agency coming to see if we killed the tadpoles, you name it. They embraced it and we had not one problem with it. The bigger problem I have now is members love the fishing event so much, they wanna do it every year. But what are you doing to educate, to engage, and get them to buy into the process? I'm not saying we're masterminds. We've stumbled upon some of this by chance. It's easy for me to reflect back now and tell these stories, but I can promise you going through this, it wasn't like, oh, we have the greatest idea, right? We were thinking, we get these fish out of here, how are we gonna do it? Well, let's have the members do it, right? And you really start looking at what you have going on. Um, huge event.
So then we get into the word, the true process of innovation, something different, right? So the first thing, we have the food truck. We had the food truck in 2012. Food truck was in an accident, to be honest with you. We were about to do a kitchen renovation. We were shutting down a piece of side of the club and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the members. Now, the day prior, I just hired a brand new chef. Chef Mike Matarazzo was just hired. My food and beverage director at the time, Brandon and I were talking about a trip to Austin and they had this food truck thing. And we were talking about how great that was and this food trucks, this was 2012, 13, taking the country by storm. So we're in a meeting the next day and I'm going around the table with my leadership team saying, okay, we're about to shut down the grill for 14 months. What are we gonna do? So we're going around the table and Brandon, who's my club manager now, says, why not get a food truck? And everyone laughed. And we got halfway around the table and then I said, wait a minute, let's go back to this. Brandon, let's talk about this food truck idea. And of course he looked at me and went, oh crap, now he wants me to really think about this. So then I went to my brand new chef and said, Chef Mike, uh, what do you think about food trucks? He's like, I love them. I'm like, what if you had your own? He's like, I love this job, right? <laughs> so I said, research it. And the more we looked at it, it was a mobile food station. We were able to move it around our property and you start going through it and it just made logistical sense. It didn't cost us much. Now, I didn't want to have it painted because I was afraid that if the members hated it, I was in trouble, I had to unload this thing. So we just had it wrapped. We put our quote on there, foundation, building foundation, building the future, that kind of stuff, right? Um, and we, un we released it July 4th, 2013. Nobody was more nervous watching that thing pull up to the truck, I mean, up to the club than me thinking I'm gonna hero or zero, when well, it's gonna be one of them right now. Members had no idea, they thought we rented it, then they was kinda of able to talk about it, and then of course you had your curmudgeon saying, oh, now we got food trucks and stuff. And then once you start explaining it, but the men, the younger members, we had taco night, we, had, we, we rolled up onto the North Lawn, it's a mobile food station, takes two people to run it, you have your commissary kitchen in the back, so we started going it. This is what sparked the whole, well you have a food truck, you should be innovative, right? But then we start looking around the property. What else do you do? So we make our own ice cream in-house. Our members love our ice cream. So we started packaging and selling our own ice cream to our members. The thing on the left here is our cookie dough. Everybody has it. Cookies, we go through a ton of cookies. Um, we realized our members love our cookie dough, so we started selling cookie dough. Little refrigerator next to the grill. When they walk out, they can grab it. Um, Side effect of that, a bridge lady came to me the other day. I don't mean to pick on bridge ladies, I'm sorry, but they just seemed to be the ones that talked to me a lot. Um, bridge lady came to me and she was really upset that her friend every day takes handfuls of cookies, puts them in her purse after lunch, and she needs to be stopped. And I said, okay, well there's lots of people that do this. But the thing that she was appalled by, that she went to her house that night for a gathering and there was Farmington cookies and she stole them over the last week to have them for her guests. I said, well, she may have, but I can tell you, you know we're selling our own cookie dough and she just looked at me. Well, why would you sell it? We just take them. <laughs> True story. But again, this is the brand, this is the pride. What do you do, what do you have that members love, cherish about your club, and how do you capitalize on this, right? Um, top right one's our beer. So when we were doing our grill, 
We have 38 or 36 wineries, if not more. I can't tell you how many breweries now are around Charlottesville. A lot of our members own these. So we wanted our own beer. And I didn't want just a beer that um, has Budweiser and you just put your label on it. I wanted a beer you could only get for us at our location. So we went, we talked to a couple different um, brewers. We picked one, 1927, celebrating the year the club was founded. At that time, Stella, Stella and something else, I can't remember right now, were our top selling beers at the club. No matter what we did, it was Stella and whatever it was. Um, right now, our top selling beer is 1927. So much so that the brewer came to us a year after we were doing it and said, you guys are flying through. Because the first, first run we just had to commit to was like, I think 10, whatever the, 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 the that was, I think it was like 10 kegs that came out. We just had to commit to 10. Um, We've been flying through it so much, he came to us and said, what do you guys think about cans? It's like, it's great. Our members want them on the golf course. Uh, the weddings, it'd be great to highlight it and I'll just have a draft of it. Um, so we, I can't tell you how much, 1927. So much so that we were selling it for whatever it was, 450 a glass or pint. Um, members came to me, our prices have been going up. We were trying to figure out what we we're gonna do. And so many members said, I don't care what you have to do. That's my favorite beer. Charge me a dollar more just keep that beer, because it's a pride thing. They come back, you can only get this here. Do you have connections in your town? Do you have these things? If it's not beer, what else, what else do you have, right? My new thing to my staff is, okay, we've had 1927 for a while, what's next? What's next, what are we doing? Doesn't mean we have to get rid of it, but on the other hand, what can you do? What are those relationships in your town? The last thing I have up there in the bottom right is a macaroon. We have overnight rooms, we're fortunate enough to have that. And what we were doing was we were buying the overnight snacks, the, 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 the turn down treats. And we said, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Let's highlight our pastry chef. Now my pastry chef didn't like that because it's more work for her. Um, but why aren't we featuring our own stuff? Why are we buying somebody else's chocolate? Why are we doing this? Well, let's tell people what we can do. Chefs started making trail mix and smoking them in house. So we started offering those as kind of the turn down gifts and things like that. So, what does your club have? How can you start highlighting your snacks or things you're doing um, around the club? Just start looking at what you do, what you're known for, and how do you capitalize on that? Transportation. We have a lot of non-residents. I had, as I said before, I have more non-resident members than I have residents. They come and go. So the theory was, well, let's get a van so we can pick them up from the airport and we can kind of create this shuttle process. Plus, we have a lot of members that go to the football games, the baseball games, the basketball games. Let's have them come to the club and then we'll offer a shuttle service back and forth. Um, that was the theory on how it was gonna be used by the non-residents. So we bought this shuttle, 14 passengers. You don't need a CDL if it's 14 passengers, so I can have anybody drive it. Um, and I had them put you can see the logo on there, it's a magnet, because there's sometimes I wanted to be incognito if members got a little out of hand, I didn't want them to know it was Farmington. However, when you're rolling up into a place, a concert, an event, and you see this shuttle van with the Farmington logo, it doesn't say Farmington, makes people wonder what is that? Who are these people, what is it? What it turned out to be though is it's not as used as much as I thought it was gonna be by the non-resident members. It's our resident members that take it for these wine trips. They'll get a group of friends together and they'll go to two or three wineries on a Saturday or Sunday and they'll rent it. If we have weddings in town, they wanna take the bridal party places. 
Um, we have a lot of members who get together and travel, so they'll get it, they'll rent the van to take them to Dulles Airport or Richmond or wherever it may be, and then it kind of takes the club. But the one rule we have is you get to start or finish at the club. We just won't come to your house and be a shuttle like that. Um, birthday parties, parents are getting birthday parties, putting their kids in the van, and we're taking them to Richmond to the art museum, whatever the kids are doing, the science museum, and things like that. It's amazing how many members do it. Now, we've had a few concerts we've gone to, and I've made sure they take the metal, I mean, the magnet logo off because there's some things that happen that you probably don't want to know about. And I don't want to know it's us. But it's amazing how many members, it's a pride thing, right? Now, it's logistically, you gotta figure out transportation and things like that. But this is something, again, how do you get your club marketing? How do you get your club to be seen outside of this? I stole this idea when I worked at Ansley Golf Club in Atlanta. We didn't have enough parking at that club. We had three shuttles, staff had to park off site, and members had a rule that we would pick you up within a three mile radius and bring you to your, to your club. That shuttle riding through the streets of Atlanta with the club's name and logo on it was the best marketing thing that they had. And then when members say, well, the club will come pick you up. So again, you see things as you go along in your career and you kind of file it away and you adapt it to where you are now. The shuttle has been a big process. Now we're looking to get probably a smaller car because not everybody wants to ride the shuttle to the airport. Membership from a distance. That's the view from the Jefferson Room Widow's Walk overlooking the Blue Ridge Mountains. We have so many non-resident members, besides the newsletter once a month, how do you tie them to the club? What's the one thing they love? And they love sitting on that north lawn overlooking the mountains. So I had my IT director put a webcam up there. Members can go onto our website at any time and take a look at the webcam. During the fall, the foliage, when that's all changing, is absolutely stunning. When you get that first snow, if we get, if we get snow, it's amazing. Or if there's a big activity going on, members like to kind of jump in. But at least it's on our website, you can drop in and you can kind of see what's going on at the club. Especially with the non-residents out of DC, Richmond area, New York, that just decide for a weekend we're gonna go to the club. Let's see what's going on, they pop on there. Doesn't cost you a lot of money, but this is the one thing, how do you connect people from a distance to your club? This is not an advertisement. This was something we're new we've started doing, but I thought it was important to talk about. Social tables, who's using something like this in their banquet catering office? Okay, we just recently started doing this. I can't tell you the reaction we're getting from brides, grooms, vendors, again, professionalism. Rather than a, a drawing with circles and the stencils that most catering offices are doing and have been doing for years, again, this is not an advertisement for this particular product, but this is the one we happen to be using at the moment where you can put in your ballroom, you can put in with the tables and chairs. How many arguments do your staff have with people, ma'am, you can't put a bar there, it's not gonna fit. Well, no, it fits here on this piece of paper, look, I drew it in there, right? We've all been through this. This, you show it to them, and there's a, there's a much more enhanced view, but I just took these two screenshots, because this is all I knew how to get into, to be honest with you. Um, but man, you start showing this to vendors, you start showing this to brides and grooms and people having parties, their perception of your professionalism, because they're seeing this elsewhere, goes up. So are you using technology in certain areas to help kind of project or portray who you are? Creating memories or gifts. 
So during that time we were doing the railing, we realized we had to replace the slate. The slate on the house that was from 1780. Jefferson room was 1803, the house was 1780. We had all this old slate, what do you do with it? Some of it we can recycle, some of it we couldn't. I didn't want it to go just into a landfill. So I partnered with one of my members who owns a sign company in town, and I said to him, hey, if we bring you the slate, could you somehow get our logo on it? And he did some test runs for me. He tried etching, he tried painting, he tried a couple different things, and he was able to put that top right picture there. So rather than go to a landfill, now my superintendent hates it because I got a bunch of slate in his area at the moment, but we decided we have a foundation that is a 501c3 that's for our historic buildings. To raise money for them, we started selling slates. Slates from the original house. Jefferson could have touched that particular slate. You never know, right? The wild card. Sold them for $65. I think it cost me $32 to get them cut, printed, and all whatever you needed to do. We sell them for $65. All the money and proceeds go to the foundation that kind of helped do that. So I didn't pay money to have them taken to the dump. We didn't fill a landfill with all this old slate. And now we have special gifts too that if we have a special speaker or someone that we want to recognize for doing something, we give them a slate that has a little card on it that talks about this was on the original house, 1780s, 1803, blah, 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 blah. Jefferson could have touched this. Everybody loves Jefferson. Um, one of the stories I have is we have, I had a, a couple months ago, I had a main sewer line go down, which is not good. We had to dig it up. But where we had to dig it up was where the original section of the house was. What's that? Well, there's a lot of people that thought they did because <laughs> we had to pull up all the brick and they wanted archaeologists there. They want us to do this. And as they're pulling it up, I had one of the ladies with me and I pointed and I said, uh, she goes, well, you think Jefferson, blah, blah. I said, ma'am, that's a PVC pipe. I promise you he did not touch that. <laughs> this has been done before. And at that point, she let me go. Um, so this is one example, right? Are there trees that you have to take down and can you make something out of them? I mean, what are there things around your club? When you're doing a renovation, can you take pieces of that to sell people for memories? I mean, start to get creative. What do people love and how do you embrace that? This is one example. Tree program. We all have them to some degree or another. Members pass away, they want to put a tree on the golf course or some kind of plan or some kind of bench to memorialize their loved ones. A lot of clubs say, we're not doing this, we're not turning into a cemetery, I get that. But there's a lot of clubs that are doing things like this. Problem we always ran into is trees die, or when you go to renovate a golf course and you gotta take down those trees, then you're taking down their loved one's tree and you're ripping all up all their memories again, right? So we try to figure a way to get away from the tree program. One of the things that we needed at the club is every year we place four or five of these Adirondack chairs that go out on the lawn that overlook the, the Blue Ridge Mountains there. Those chairs aren't cheap, especially because they're handmade specifically for us. So we created a program of you can buy a Adirondack chair with a little metal plaque on the back that talks about your loved one. So every year, rather than us spending capital dollars on replacing thousands of dollars worth of chairs, we now have members paying for it. Problem is, the question is, well, what happens when the chair goes bad and you gotta get rid of it, do you just get a new chair? Well, no, we're gonna build a nice, nice wood plaque out of some of these chairs, 
And then as time goes on and we replace it, we'll then just put that little plaque on this board that will be hanging somewhere. And that way we're using it. What other things do you have at your club that you're investing capital dollars in that you can find ways of members to do it that aren't impacting you like trees and things like that? And they're buying more drinks because they're sitting out there in memory of their dad or their grandparents or their golf buddy while they're having a drink in their Adirondack chair. Facilities. All right, very high level. We'll get through these quick and we're almost done. These are the future, McMahon put this out. Anywhere you look, this is what people are studying. And when you start looking at future, you start looking at innovation, where do you need to go? Spaces promote social gathering, dining, indoor, outdoor. And you can see, what are you doing? What do your facilities look like? Again, how do you rate your club? Would you hang out there and have a drink? I say that a lot, my staff laughs, but I sit there and go, man, if I could eat anywhere, I'd be eating here tonight. Or man, if I could have a drink with my family, this is where I would be tonight. They know they hit the home run when I'm saying, man, this is something I would do with my family. Because they know that's what I want you all to look at it that way. So how do you rate it? What do your facilities look like? It doesn't have to be expensive, but do you have those spots? Because this is where dining is and going, and I don't have to tell you that because you're in Florida. You know this more than any group that I've talked to. Golf facilities. I talked about golf earlier. People want the club in their hand. Training, training, practice. What do your practice facilities look like? Do you have it, regular investments, indoor. Um, the one on the right is our newest indoor facility we just built. On the right was an aspirational golf course training driving range that doesn't look like a driving range. Looks like you're practicing in the park. This is where the facilities are going. Short game practicing. Fitness. Fitness outside the fitness walls. I told you about the special interest groups that we do. Um, Family-oriented, new generations looking for mind, body, blah, 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 right? We looked at it. How many of you looked at this? But I looked at it the other day. We have 76 fitness facilities in the Charlottesville area. Small town, 76 fitness facilities. Dining, we have 452 restaurants. Per capita, I think we're the highest per capita restaurants. That's where your members are going. Are you out there seeing what they're doing? Fitness, 72, that includes yoga, weightlifting, all those other places, right? So what are we doing? I'm never gonna be able to do the latest crazy hot yoga, blah, 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 right? But how do I put my brand on it? How do we put our version of it so our members are seeing it and using it? Challenge your fitness team to look at things to see what you can do. And sometimes it's okay to say, you need to go there to do that because we, we, we can't offer that. But can you offer a version of it? The newest thing we did is, again, going back to technology, this My Zone. How many people are doing this? See one hand, two hands? We just started. This is where, you, I'm not even gonna say your members. This is what you're using when you're going to some of these fitness places now. Orange Theory, you name them. They all have this technology, wearable technology. Some are wearing their, their Fitbits and stuff like that. If you have a fitness facility, you gotta start going in this direction. Do your research, do your homework to make sure it fits in what you wanna do. But we started doing it, we got these MyZone challenges, we have now this new classes we're doing, we got a TV up, now people are competing. If your members or you are getting it somewhere else, why not at your club? Well, we're a country club, we really don't, we don't do that. Fitness kids, and the thing you look on the right is our, we do spin class, so at one point, Ben asked me, do you mind if we do spin outside one night? There was nothing in the dining room. 
It was a beautiful fall night, I think, or spring. I don't remember which one that is right there. I think that's spring. Um, overlooking the mountains at 6.30 at night. We took all the spin bikes, put it on the patio, and they did a class outside. Afterwards, we had wine and champagne for them. Um, but talk about a fun class, but not only the members doing it, but people seeing it. Wow, this, this is a pretty cool thing, right? So how can you take fitness outside of the fitness walls? Because that's where it's going. Rackets, pickleball. How many have pickleball? I knew I would get that, right? Pickleball, indoor. Um, tennis is growing. Tennis is growing faster than any sport out there to some degree, depending on how you look at it. A lot of that's due to pickleball, but a lot of that's due to time and money. So what are your tennis fitness, I'm sorry, your tennis facilities, what are you doing? More members are starting to discover this is an amenity that they didn't even know they have. A lot of it is their kids. And changes don't have to be expensive. So one on the, on the left was our spin room. Somebody went out to Michael's, nothing wrong with Michael's, and bought the word ride, put it on the wall, and it was very inspiring. This was in a closet at our indoor tennis facility, but we realized more and more of our members were doing spin. So for a very minimal amount of dollars, we went to the local sign company. We had a mural made of the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains. We put up some mirrors and new flooring, and we created a fitness, I'm sorry, a spin studio. We went from having six people on average doing spin classes to we have a wait list now, and um, we're trying to find more and more instructors. But we made it nice, it wasn't expensive, now our professionalism has been raised. So what does all this mean? Again, I, I, I wanted to, to give context to all this is, there's no silver bullet. But as I was reflecting, asked to do this presentation a year ago, what have been, we been doing, what have the results been, and what can we learn from it? And that's really why the context of the case study, so to speak. So. In 2011, we cut our initiation fees. We were losing $600,000 a year. Our revenue was only 14.1 million, and our dues kept going up 5% each year. Since then, we have the highest initiation fees that we've ever had in an eight-year period. How many people have done that? We're now budgeted to make money each year. Our revenues are about 20 to $21 million a year, and we're only raising our dues 2% each year. If you're a member, what does that financial picture say to you? What does it feel like to you? What caused all this? And I don't know one thing that caused all this. It wasn't one person. It was a mindset to start looking and holding ourselves accountable, but also, how do we do it different? How do we be innovative? How do we start getting our story out and getting the pride of our membership around this facility, around this entity? And when that starts to feed and they start backfilling, our activity levels are through the roof. At that point in time, our food and beverage revenues were 3.8. Last year we were 5.2 million in food and beverage revenue. We have 500 employees now, up from 350 or 325 or whatever it was. And this is our membership chart. The flat years are when we were doing some construction. And it's even higher than it is last time I did this slide. We were in the death spiral. A lot of clubs in this room were in that position. Some of it was economy-based, but people were doing value judgments. 
and they were judging whether they should be a So my parting thoughts, you gotta find ways to integrate your club into your members' lives. More than just a shirt with a logo, right? How are you integrating your members' lives into your club and vice versa? My favorite line, and I say this all the time, I'm gonna be a hero or a zero, so I better be good at one of them. Swing the bat. Now don't just go out and swing the bat with the biggest thing right away, and if you fail, I'll catch credibility. It took me time to build credibility and my team to build credibility with our membership to give us the chance to swing the bat. And sometimes we fail, sometimes we don't, but we're allowed to know this area, we're allowed to swing the bat. We're allowed to go and do these things that we're doing and we have the support. But if you don't swing the bat, you are what you are, right? We're stuck, there we go, that's all right. <laughs> And the last, and I know uh, Patterson says this all the time, your members just want you to show them the love. When it all comes down to it, they want to know you care. They want to know you're listening. They want to know that you're doing things to make their lives better. And the more you can show them that, the more you can tell them that, the more successful you're going to be as a club. So with that, thank you. I appreciate your time. My email's up there if you want to email me, uh, if you have any questions. If you have any ideas on loyalty, please let me know. Um, and with that, uh, I think we got a couple minutes. Are there any questions? All right, thank you. Oh, one. We include depreciation. Yeah, we include depreciation. With, without a doubt. Without a doubt, because the, the smaller things are what's giving people the pride, it's giving the people the, the bragging, they're telling people. And then as you do the bigger ones, then that's more brag points, that's more for them to show it, but it's not, look at this nice building, but yeah, this sucks, right? It's, not only is this building nice, but man, we have our own cookie dough, and we have this, and we just took a bike ride the other day. It's, it's creating that pride, and so to me, it's the smaller things that really start building that foundation but when you educate them to get them to see the future and not just what we have today, there's a, there's a big piece there. You gotta get everybody on board with that. Um, then you can start doing, you know, we went from a capital project that was failed in $7 million in 2010 or 11, whatever the number was. We passed 10 and now we just passed another 22 million. And members are bought in, they see it, and they know we have to do this. And we're getting our kitchen. The last thing I talk about the kitchen, I have plans for 1982 on the kitchen. My first three months at the job, board said to me, give me your analysis, tell me what you see. So I'm in a board meeting three months later and I'm going through all my list of things I see and I start going through this in-depth study of the kitchen. And then one president says, wow, you've done a lot of homework. I said, no, here's a plan from 1982, we still have the same problems. We had no idea. Now we've got them into it, it's the first project we're doing, which is a, it's more than just kitchen, but it's a $9 million project we're doing right now that's enhancing our infrastructure and kitchen facilities. Never would have happened if they didn't have pride or trust in what we were doing with all these little things. Any questions? Thank you. Come see me.
Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time.